Hello and welcome to Conversations with Ipswich School. Today is very exciting for us because it's the first time that we've had a guest all the way from America. We're saying hello to Frankie Devenham, who's former student and now legal counsellor at the British Embassy in Washington for the Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Mrs. Jordan. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Thank you. And I'm going to be handing over to Abby, who's in the sixth form at Ipswich School. Hi, Abby. Hi. Um, now, what are you studying for A-level? I'm studying history, economics and PE. And I also did an EPQ too. And what was your... Have you done your EPQ? Yeah, it's now finished. What was it on? I did it on China-US relations, but I specifically looked at different American approaches to China in, um, in an age of economic interdependence. Okay, that sounds quite quite meaty <laughs> and complicated. Yeah. Did you enjoy Did you enjoy it? I think it was just, it was a very broad topic, so just cutting it down because I had so much that I couldn't write, but that was the main challenge, just, it's so broad. <laughs> okay, so just, just actually editing it down yeah. into a, yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay, brilliant. And what do you think about for your next steps? I'm hoping to go to university to study a uh, history and international relations. Okay, well, all the best for that. <laughs> and I'm going to hand over to you, Abby. Have fun. Thank you. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about what you do. Can you firstly explain to us what your job involves? Sure, yeah. So um, I am the only legal advisor in the British Embassy in Washington. The Embassy in Washington is one of our biggest embassies in the world. We've got approximately 300 plus people and there are about 30 government departments represented in the embassy. So I think it's fair to say I wear sort of lots of different hats in my job. At its most fundamental, I'm ultimately a diplomat and you know, the difference between me and my colleagues in the embassy is that my stakeholders are mainly lawyers, um, but ultimately it's still a diplomatic role. So I'm here to build and maintain relationships with key people in the US administration and, and also outside the US administration in the sort of broader legal world, whether that's in the private sector or um, the academic space. And also I'm, I'm a sort of legal explainer and I'll, I'll sort of give you the distinction between that and what I would consider to be a legal advisor. As a legal explainer, I spend quite a lot of time explaining to my counterparts in the US administration what UK law or policy means or how it's developing. Um, and then I do the same in reverse, explaining some US law and policy back into the UK system. And then I do have more of a legal advisor role where I'm advising the ambassador in the embassy and other colleagues in the embassy on legal issues as they come up in their kind of bilateral issues. And that can also involve negotiating bilateral agreements. And I've done a bit of that while I've been out here. So how is it being the only legal diplomat? Is that a, is that a usual thing in an embassy just to have one? So this is the only embassy actually in the world where we have a lawyer for a bilateral relationship. Most of our legal roles are in multilateral institutions. So we've got lawyers, for example, in the UN in New York and in Geneva, We've got someone in Strasbourg for the institutions there. We've got people, some people in Brussels, which you'd probably expect because of the relationship with the yeah. EU. Um, and we've also got somebody in The Hague because of all the criminal courts and other international justice mechanisms there. So this is the only job, actually, where it's about the bilateral relationship. And that's because, obviously, this is a really key relationship and we do lots with the Americans. And so I, I'm the fourth person to do the job. So it's not been running really that long historically. 
and you know the, the idea is that there's always some here to, someone here to be having conversations in real time and it sort of moves things along quicker um, but I think you know it's really it's great being the only lawyer here um, you know I have lots of autonomy and it means that I'm always the one doing the interesting stuff yeah. I don't have to share it but at the same time you know sometimes I would like a team of people it's quite a busy job um, and there is only one of me and so I think, you know, it, it kind of swings and roundabouts, but I've really, really enjoyed it. And it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds great. How did you work up to the position that you are today, considering there's been so few people working in this position? Yeah, so I, I took a bit of a convoluted route, actually, into my career. So I, I didn't study law at university. And when I was at Ipswich School for sixth form, I had no plans to be a lawyer. And life might have been simpler, actually, if it had been. But uh, it wasn't. And I was very interested in sort of English and drama. And I went to university, I went to Loughborough University and studied English and drama. And then sort of nearing the end of my degree, when I was sort of trying to think about what I wanted to do, I started thinking about doing a conversion course to law. Uh, there were sort of various options I was milling around with, journalism, you know, maybe teaching. And, and law sort of appealed to me. I'd been doing some work experience in a media law firm and they had lawyers coming in. And I thought, oh, that's quite an interesting job. So I then went and did a conversion course at Nottingham Law School. Um, and then you had to do a legal practice course after that. So it's a two year process. And then I obtained a training contract, which is what you have to do to qualify to be a lawyer in a private law firm in London. But you have to do that way in advance. So I had a year in between finishing law school and going off to do my training contract. So I fulfilled a bit of a bucket list dream and I went to Japan for a year and did something called the Jet Scheme. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's run by the Japanese government. And they bring well, grad recent graduates usually in from other English speaking countries, and they put them in their state schools to help with English language provision. And that was an absolutely fantastic year, and I'm sure has played a bit of a part in me then going into a more international forum later. So I came back from that, I went into the private sector into a firm called Carter Ruck, which does mainly libel and privacy law. So effectively suing newspapers and TV companies on behalf of celebrities often. So um, fun. But it did become quite clear to me quite quickly that I had a bit of a calling to go and do work in the public sector. So almost immediately upon qualification, I applied to go into the government legal department, which uh, which was then called the Treasury Solicitor's Department, but it's since changed. And I went in first as a public law litigator. So I was running a caseload of um, challenges against the government by members of the public or organisations for decisions, mainly that ministers had been making. And that was a great job and a really good sort of first job in government. I went from there into the Cabinet Office, um, where I was advising on the drafting of the Equality Act, as it now is. And so that was very different job working on drafting of legislation, but nonetheless fascinating and issues that I cared about. Um, after that, I went and did a stint in number 10, and I was advising David Cameron on his evidence as the Prime Minister then to the Leveson inquiry, which was such a fun thing to get to do. And then it was after that, actually, that I moved to the Foreign Office. So I moved to the Foreign Office in 2012, so a while ago now, and that was really the shift into doing more internationally related work and I really did come to this work quite late you know a lot of people like you already know you want to do international relations which is great you know but quite unusual um, and you know at school I didn't even know what a diplomat was 
and, and I knew what a lawyer was, but I didn't know they got to do cool stuff like I'm doing now. And so I sort of found it by accident. I'd been doing a bunch of litigation that had involved the Foreign Office. Gosh, that looks really interesting. And then my old boss in the cabinet office had moved into the foreign office as legal director. So I'd spoken to him about it. And so that's how it sort of come about. And then over the last years, I've worked overseas a lot, um, just, you know, generally not on big postings, but I've done temporary duties overseas in other places like Geneva and travelled a lot with work anyway. And I knew about this job and I thought, oh, one day that would be such a cool job to do. And then it came up just at sort of the right time for me and my kids in terms of they were sort of four and nine at the time. I thought, oh, if I don't do it now, I probably won't do it. So I had a shot and here I am um, and have loved every minute of it. So what would you say the highlights have been over the, that long progression to get to where you are today? Oh, gosh, there's just been so many highlights, really, in my job. I mean, in this specific job, I probably am doing the dream job. And I think, you know, I get to... Part, part of the benefit of being a sole lawyer is that I get to work with very senior members of the administration, often people who've had to go through political appointment processes. So I feel sort of close to the centre, which is great. Um, I get to work on the most interesting issues of the day. My job is very crisis driven, so it won't surprise you that for the last year or so I've been working very closely on the Russia-Ukraine conflict and, you know, and over the last couple of weeks, the Sudan issue. So I think, you know, it just depends on what the issue is of the moment. And that makes my job fascinating. And I love that. Um, I suppose from a kind of just exciting perspective, I get to meet lots of important people. I've met President Biden, you know, and if you had asked me when I was at Ipswich School, if I thought I would ever do something like that, I would not have believed it. You know, I've sat around dinner tables at the ambassador's residence with very important people which will who, who are making history or have made history and that is just such a privilege really um and then finally I guess I just get to live overseas and that is just the best thing ever um you know I really love working and living overseas there's so much that goes with that that is great fun um and yeah I, I feel it's a re- it's a real privilege to get to do the job that I do no that sounds that sounds very interesting to have that um, progression through all those different roles through government to get to where you are today. Do you think um, working in government, when you get into the civil service, is there quite common to move around lots of different jobs or do people usually stay in that uh, one area? No, it's really common. And I think it's one of the things that really surprises people, particularly when they come into the government from the private sector. Um, Because when I was in the private sector, that was seemed to be really strange you know you built up your expertise in one particular area of law and that's how you progressed your career that is not the way it works in government generally I think what you find is people tend to have a bit of a career anchor so my career anchor if you like is international law and national security law and I've done some various jobs so I also did a comment from the foreign office for example into the attorney general's office where I was specializing in those areas too um but it's quite common. And part of the reason for that is that we have to have collective decision making across government. And so it's actually really useful to be moving around and understanding everybody's perspective on an issue and having the contacts in the network, actually. Like, I think I couldn't really have done this job so well if I hadn't built up, built up the network of contacts I have over the last 20 years. You know, and if a, if a knotty issue comes up, I will know instantly which lawyer in which department is dealing with it and I can pick up the phone and have a conversation, which is really critical. So I think that's the, the reason for it. But also, I think lots of people love the variety in their career. And I think it's why 
often people who come to government stay there for so long because you just never get tired of what you're doing because as soon as you've done something and you feel like you've kind of met all your challenges there's always another job that you can go and do that can be quite different if you want to um not everyone moves around quite as much as me I think I've done it quite a lot um but like I say I think there is still a career ranker there you can still see it certainly for the last sort of 12 plus years there's a, there's a clear theme to the work that I've been doing that is quite interconnected so do you think there was a certain point when you thought I would want to work overseas or work in the certain uh, area that you're working in today or do you think it's just one thing led to another and you took every opportunity that came so I think it's definitely a bit of both. I think I've always loved traveling. I grew up with parents who loved traveling. And my dad worked overseas quite a lot. So we used to go and do stints in quite random countries. So I think I had a flavor for it already, but wasn't actively seeking it out. And then I think spending a year in Japan, and I absolutely loved that. And I, you know, I was learning another language and I, I, I just thought it was great. And I did think then, gosh, you know, how great would it be to do this all the time? You know, this is an awesome job. But I was already signed up to be a lawyer in London. And to be honest, it didn't seem like it was really on the cards for me. And at that point, I still didn't really know much about the world of diplomacy. You know, I was quite naive to all of that. I mean, I think now my son does model UN at school and he's 13. And I think I didn't even know what the UN was when I was this age. So, you know, the world has changed quite a lot, I think. But I think that the key moment for me was when I was doing this litigation, it was sanctions litigation that I was doing um, for the Foreign Office. And I just remember, gosh, this, this area of law is just so interesting. And the people I'm working with are getting to travel around the world and do this job. Um, and so I think that was the real moment that planted the seed. And then there's never really been any looking back since then. But it, I think you were absolutely right to cotton on to the grabbing opportunities because certainly one of the big pieces of advice I give to people that I mentor now is you know you can't predict where those opportunities will come from often or what they will be but you've got to be ready to take them even if that takes you out of your comfort zone because usually they will lead to something quite exciting and I, I could never have planned my career as it's panned out it has been a matter of jobs coming up at particular moments and me thinking right okay let's go for it and sometimes that's taken me in a completely different direction. No, thank you. Since when you got into government that you've had all these different opportunities come towards you, but actually getting the position of um, having a foothold in this sector, what, um, what qualities and attributes do you think are necessary in such a competitive area to um, gain a job in this area? So, I mean, firstly, I would try not to get too caught up in it being competitive. I think... We can, certainly when I was at school and university and law school, I put so much pressure on myself thinking, oh, you know, it's such an impossible field to get into. And I didn't really come from your traditional background. You know, I hadn't gone to Oxbridge. I didn't have lots of family connections. And I, I felt a little bit out of my comfort zone coming into this world. So I think, first of all, don't get too caught up in that. And I think accept that rejection is the norm and you shouldn't be knocked back by that. So I, a good example, I think I applied for about 25 training contracts. Of that, I probably got five interviews and three offers. So you see what the ratio is there. The reality is I got a lot more rejections and acceptances. And that is just the way these things often go. So if something doesn't work, you know, if somebody doesn't get what they want in their A-levels and have to change university, it will all work out. And don't worry too much about it. And we all progress and change direction throughout our career. So that would be the first thing I would say. 
uh, to caveat anything. But in terms of going into a career in the international relations, for example, or the foreign office, um, I think, you know, having an interest in other countries, whether you want to work in them, work with them, understand their cultures, that is really important because it's the bread and butter really of the job and it's what keeps you motivated. I think being a linguist helps, but it's not a necessity. I am not a natural linguist. I mentioned that I speak Japanese, but that is the only language really that I speak any, with any sense of skill. Um, and that has not opened any doors for me because I learned it in Japan and on my <laughs> return. Um, and I've not used it since. I'm still absolutely determined that one day I'll get posted to Japan again. Um, and but I think, you know, people who have those skills obviously have that to sell themselves to an organisation that is specialising in being around the world. And I think languages have become more and more important in my time, certainly. Um, but also once you're in something like the Foreign Office, um, your ability to pick up languages or having languages already will just open a different variety of jobs to you. You know, there are certain speaker slots that I would never apply for because I just know I could never learn the language quickly enough. Um, so I think I think there's that. And then I think just being really interested in what's going on in the world, because as a diplomat, your whole job is about what's in the news and being part of it, really. And to really like working with people. Um, you know, my job is all about building relationships and talking to people. And I think that's probably the one thing where my my sort of past experience in English and drama has helped me because I do have, you know, I'm pretty comfortable talking to people that I don't know um, and things like that. So I think broadly, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think you need to know now what you want. I don't think there's a specific thing you have to do now. It's definitely not too late for those that realise in however many years that they want to do something like that. Um, if you do know that you want to do things like that, though, there will be so many opportunities at university that you can sort of try try out. So you could try debating, you could carry on with language development, you could try Model UN if your university has got that. And I think Model UN is just such an amazing creation for people who want to work in the diplomatic or international organisation space. So if you do know, great, there are definitely things that you can do, but I don't think it's the end of the world if you don't get to do any of those things. Yeah, I think there's just so many options and avenues you can take with an international relations degree. So I'm not really sure what I'd where I'd want to take that yet. But having such an, um, an interest in international relations, I wanted to pursue it further. So I'm particularly interested in the relationship between China and America, but uh, what are the developments that you've seen in diplomacy and international relations across your career? And what do you think the, the key ones were? So I think firstly, um, as a career path generally, it's much more accessible than it was. So I think even when I came in, I was on the right side of it. But Prior to that, you know, it really been a profession or an area of work reserved for a particular class of people, if you like, people who have been to particular universities or uh, had particular backgrounds. And, you know, and not going that far back, actually, often just men, you know. Um, so it wasn't a very diverse area of work. And I think I've been quite fortunate because I've joined at a time of diversification, quite dramatically so. And... You know, a really great example is my ambassador here is the first female ambassador to the US. And prior to that, she was the first female permanent representative to the UN in New York. So she is smashing those glass ceilings. And it's really exciting to be sort of working for somebody who leads by example in that way. 
So I think it's definitely more acceptable, uh, more accessible. Um, you now see a much broader variety of backgrounds uh, across all, all characteristics. Um, I don't think there is now a requirement. You know, of course, because we're still diversifying, we would probably still see higher proportions of certain universities represented, maybe. I don't know the stats on that, actually. But um, but it is definitely much more representative of the public that we serve, essentially, now. Um, and, and anyone, really, who wants to can find their way in if they want to do it. So I think that that's really key. I think some things have not changed at all in that diplomacy is a necessity and that fact in itself hasn't changed the way we do it might change a little bit i think it looks more modern now particularly actually post-covid we're in quite a different world post-covid but you know it's still absolutely critical to be constantly talking to our allies and working through problems in real time or before they happen and that is never going to change and i really think actually certainly in my career the best example of that has been the Russia-Ukraine conflict, where you've really seen countries come together in a united way, whether that be in NATO or in, in broader ways. And I think, you know, there's no doubt that diplomacy is, is sort of alive and well in that regard. But like I say, I think it feels more modern. Um, there are still sort of some strange ways we do things. We refer to it as protocol, and there are certain rules about how you have to interact, interact with people. But... Um, Broadly speaking, I think it looks like a much more modern foreign service than it did previously. So picking up on something you said there, how have you found being a woman in diplomacy? So I think it depends what issue I'm working on, actually. Um, I mean, as a lawyer in government, you don't feel like you're in a minority as a woman, because I think we've got more than 50% women, actually, as lawyers in government. So that's always felt pretty good. I, I've noticed when I work on specific issues, so and it, it sounds quite stereotypical, but sometimes when you work on more technical issues, so things like cyber law or um, data access and that sort of thing, often you do find that you're one of either alone or few women in the room. And I've got quite used to that, actually. Um, but I suppose because I've been lucky enough to have these sort of role models like I've got with my ambassador here, and I've had them all throughout my career, really, I don't worry when I'm in that situation. And I mean, as it's probably pretty clear when those opportunities like this. So I'm the first woman in this job, actually, but that didn't put me off applying. Uh, you know, I'm not I don't sort of hold myself back. And I think that is the key thing. Don't self-censor. You know, it would have been very easy for me to tell myself, well, there's never been a woman in the job. I'll never get it. But despite that, I said, no, I really want to do this job and I think I can do it. So I applied for it. So, yeah, I mean, it's still look, there's definitely still gender inequality out there. Um, no, no one, no one's denying that. I don't think, but um, there's definitely progress, and I'm, I'm certainly not letting any of that hold me back. Definitely seems that you haven't. <laughs> so, as you said, uh, working in America must it's just extremely different being being in the UK, obviously. So, what have you, how have you found living and working over there in recent years? I mean, I've just absolutely loved every minute of it, as you can probably tell. Um, I mean, I do what I think is one of the best jobs in government as a lawyer. Um, but I think, you know, I moved here with my husband and two children and that came with its challenges. You know, you are moving the whole family across the world, taking kids out of school, resettling them in a new school. Um, but they have all just had the best experience. So I think all the pain was probably worth it. Um, and we've loved living here. And my, my, my daughter has an American accent now. 
And my, both of my kids play serious basketball, so I don't know what they're <laughs> going to do when they come back to the UK. Um, they'll have to find, find ways in which to continue their American culture. But also, I've, I've had a chance to work on some of just the most interesting issues. And I've seen this administration, so I've seen the US go through two administrations, which is fascinating in itself, through a pandemic and sort of various other pretty extraordinary events, actually, that have happened in the last four years. It's been quite a moment being the US. If someone had told me that was going to happen, maybe I wouldn't have wanted to do the job, but I'm glad that I was here through those moments in time because they've been really interesting, pretty extraordinary. It's certainly an interesting time to be working in America. Um, Going back in time now, thinking back at your time at Ipswich School, what were the areas that you got involved with, both academically and non-academically? So I was studying English classics and art. It was very arty. I mean, I was basically an arts nerd. Um, And in some ways, I was just a completely different person when I was at school um, and certainly didn't think I was going to be doing anything like what I'm doing now. And I spent all of my spare time rehearsing for school plays. Um, I directed the sixth form play in my second year with one of my fellow students. And actually that led to me setting up a theatre company whilst I was still at Ipswich School. And then we did an external production, but with a bunch of Ipswich School students. So that was my really big thing when I was at school. And sadly, I didn't really get involved in much else because that took up all my time. I was completely passionate about it. I was convinced I was going to be a theatre director um, and ironically, when I went to university, I went to Loughborough, which is an incredibly sporty university, I got really competitive <laughs> about sport and got very seriously in sport, which I'm sure all of my former pe- uh, colleagues from, from the school would, would be surprised by because it wasn't part of my life then at all, really. Um, but so it, that, that's sort of an example as well of how these things shift and how life changes when you change environment and get different opportunities Um, And I think that was probably partly why I moved away from doing theatre, because I then directed my energy elsewhere and realised that actually there were lots of other things out there that I could be doing. Certainly, I've explored a lot of avenues in life. (laughs) And and my final question would be, what would you recommend that current students get involved with? I think the thing is to not worry about doing one specific thing. Do the thing that you enjoy. It's really about making sure that you are grounded as a person and have things to talk about when you are applying for university or applying for jobs later down the line it you know it's amazing how even now if you're going to job interviews you know people will ask me about what my other interests are in life they want to know who you are as a whole person and they're looking to see what distinguishes you from all these other people who are applying so I don't think it's about doing a particular thing you know I mentioned that if you know you want to do international relations and there are some more obvious things you can pursue but I I genuinely don't think that's critical and when I'm recruiting people I'm I'm less interested in what it is that they're doing but more interested that they are doing other things with their life and they're not just studying and that you know they they are making contacts through other things in their life Um, and actually that's partly about resilience you know we look for people we recruit to be resilient Mm. and what often gives people resilience is not just doing work but having plenty of leisure time and doing other things that matter to them as well so no one thing at all but play to your strengths you always succeed if you play to your strengths I say this to people that I manage stop worrying about what your weaknesses are you'll do much better if you just focus on the things you're good at and do more of them Um, and so I'd say exactly that people should just follow follow what they enjoy
I'm going to jump in there because I think you probably just answered my next question. <laughs> that was really interesting. Thank you. It's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating to hear how a career kind of moves and evolves and just and you, you take the opportunities and they take you somewhere that you, you never knew existed. Really interesting. Thank you, Frankie. Right, I'm going to ask you both the same question. We ask this to all our guests um, and we ask you what advice you'd give to your younger selves. Abby, do you want to go first? I think I'd say just take all the opportunities, even if the people around you aren't doing the same thing and don't worry about what other people think. If it interests you, then pursue it. That's great. Yeah, so you're saying like just just if it's something a bit niche yeah, or different, just, just, just do it anyway. Yes. Okay. Well, what would you say, Frankie? I mean, almost exactly the same answer, actually. Brilliant. Which is, you know, I did not conform to the stereotype at school. You either wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, or you were just something else. And I was the something else, and I didn't really fit. And I, I would just say, do not worry about that. Back yourself. Know that your hard work will pay off eventually. Um, and it doesn't really matter if you don't fit a particular mould at any given point. And like I said, Paul, do the things you enjoy. You're much more likely to do well in the things you enjoy and, and they will lead you to success in some form um, and also just don't know don't worry if you don't know what you want to do I did know what I wanted to do but that was something completely different to what I ended up doing so <laughs> for those students who are still scratching their heads and wor worrying about what they're going to do and looking at perhaps other students who are very clear about what they want to do don't worry you will work it out sometimes through experience that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, well, that's us done. That's been absolutely fantastic to listen to. Really enjoyed it. Uh, so much insight into global relations and how it, how law just kind of sort of seeps through into to everything, everything. That, everything that we see. Everything. Amazing. Um, thank you so much. Um, so bye, Frankie. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to meet you, Abby and Miss Jordan. Thank you very much. <laughs> Lovely to meet you. Well, I have loved discovering more about why diplomacy matters and how varied and multidimensional these roles can be. Thank you so much to Frankie and to Abby for such a thought-provoking and empowering discussion. So much to think about in terms of taking opportunities when they come your way, building in resilience and discovering careers that really fit. That's all for this episode, recorded from Washington and Ipswich. And please do listen in to more of the series, which is on the website ipswich.school. Goodbye.